0: This is Rocky Snyder. At the tone, leave your name and message, and I'll get back to you. This is like the apex of the vortex of joint engineering. It's rumored that MMO O'Shaughnessy designed the first one, the guy who uh, designed the Golden Gate Bridge. <coughs> episode, we're going to be talking about life after joint replacement. So you got yourself a new hip or a new knee. Now what? Well, welcome everybody. And this is going to be on an episode of the rock fit files which is our podcast as well as a youtube channel so if you're not familiar with our youtube channel it's rocky snyder cscs you can go there and check out a whole bunch of videos that we have as well as the podcast is pretty much on i think just about everything apple and fm and a whole bunch of other platforms that you can listen to so in this Episode, I guess, in this version we 're going to be focusing on life after joint replacement, and I thought first we would kind of dis- just discuss a little bit about the need for joint replacement and why we have such amazing technology at our disposal and uh, and hopefully uh, for those of you who are recipients of a replaced joint of some kind of prosthetic joint that you're experiencing a a higher level of quality of life than you were before the operation or the procedure. Now, there are the most common joints to be replaced in today's world obviously are are the knee and the joint, uh, the knee and the hip joint. And it so happens that more often in our studio, we have a lot more people coming in from knee replacement than we do from hip replacement. And I'm not sure if that's just because there's more knee replacements out there being done surgically compared to hips, or if it's just the way of the universe that uh, somebody that has had a knee replaced and they've had some benefit from training or coming to our facility, they tell other friends who have had the same thing. And then the next thing, you know, we start being the knee replaced, uh, place for conditioning. If the same were to occur on the hip, well, I'm not sure, but nonetheless, I want to kind of back up and, and talk about why these things occur. You know, what is the purpose of getting a new knee or a new hip? And more often than not, it is because there has been some wear and perhaps tear, some some degradation into the joint. And there's many reasons why that can happen. Obviously you have for those of you listening that have new joints, then you've got your own reasons for them. Sometimes it's the blood flow to the bone itself that is affected and then there's necrosis or the bone itself is actually dying down. And, and that death of the bone is actually quite quite injurious and detrimental to your, your longevity. So the doctor will go in and say, okay, we we don't have blood flow. What we're going to do is we're going to go in there and we're going to take away that portion. We'll insert the prosthetic hip or knee and more often that happens at the hip. It seems that we'll have necrosis of the femoral head that inserts into the pelvis. But nonetheless, we'll get it taken care of. We'll give you a new joint in there and you can go on your merry way, which for many people, that's a very, uh, it's, it's become quite a common occurrence with poor blood flow into the bones. And maybe it stems from a previous injury, who knows what, but that's been a very successful approach to dealing with the death of bone. But then we have those other situations which I believe are a greater frequency of occurrence, which is that the body, has found a unique strategy in which to move. And that strategy over time creates wear and tear in an area that wasn't designed to handle the increased workload that it's been asked to perform. Let's take an example. Let's just say uh, you have somebody who has sprained an ankle. They were walking in a field and they stepped in a gopher hole and severely sprained an ankle. That has changed the way in which a person moves. They no longer feel comfortable or secure or confident on that ankle. Uh, Initially, of course, they begin limping and getting away from that pain. The swelling and the pain eventually goes away, hopefully, and the reoccurrence of an injury to that area may or may not occur further down the road. But the fact that they have changed the way in which they moved and not just the ankle, right? If you're, if you're limping, then you're now taking weight off of one leg and applying it more onto the other leg. And now with that shift also you've had to figure out subconsciously, it's not necessarily a conscious effort to limp around. You've just, your brain's figuring out how do we support the the upper body over the legs that are now not quite balanced. And what is the pelvis doing in its position now that there's more weight over one leg than the other? Now the pain and the swelling of the initial insult of that falling in the gopher's hole has subsided and you do not feel the pain anymore, the swelling has gone away and you are back to your regular activities and your regular ways of life throughout the day. However, you're doing it with a body that did not automatically reset to a place that it was in before you rolled your ankle. You're close maybe. But you're still having this shadow of a limp that has been reinforced during the recovery phase of getting over the pain and the swelling. So that was say years ago, let's say it was 10 years ago when that gopher hole occurred. For 10 years you have been moving your body in such a way that is asking more from certain areas than others somewhere along the way maybe you go for a bike ride or you're out on a hike or maybe you just get out of a chair and one knee begins to bug you and that knee begins to become something that's rather intermittent and then becomes more chronic and then it becomes very problematic to the point where you're going to go see a sports medicine doctor an orthopedist your primary care provider they take an x-ray of that joint and they say oh it's a little inflamed and therefore we can define that as arthritic because arthritis is the inflammation of an articulation. Arthritis. Itis is inflammation and the prefix or the root is meaning the joint. So your joints inflamed. What do we want to do? Well we want to reduce the inflammation. So we're going to give you some drugs to anti-inflame that area and you're to take them until the inflammation subsides. Uh, or you can deal with the pain in that fashion too. So you do that for a little while. Further down the road, the inflammation's still there. You're now on 800 milligrams two or three times a day and your gut's starting to warn you. It's just a it's a horrific downward spiral. Now it's gotten to the point where the inflammation is not allowing for proper space between the two bones because there's, there's not as much space because of the inflammation. And then that wears down that area more. Maybe that knee You want to get away from it, just like you got away from the sprained ankle, so you shift your weight off of that knee over to the foot that is still not feeling confident 10 years later because of that rolled ankle, but now you've figured out a way in which to get over it to get away from that left leg. And now the right hip is starting to bother you. The left knee is feeling better. It's kind of lost the inflammation to some degree, but the hip is kicking in. And further down the road, a few years later, the doctor is saying, oh wow, it's your bone on bone. It looks like you have no more space in that hip. Uh, we're going to have to go in there. It's, the, it, it's just smashing down and you have grounded down a lot. We're going to need to replace it. So you go in, you get your hip replaced. Oh my gosh, you're pain free. You can move again. This is wonderful. Your hip isn't bothering you. And you haven't felt your ankle in a while. So you have discounted that because that's been 15 years ago. And that couldn't have started this whole thing because no one's thought of even looking there to begin with. And that left knee, yeah, maybe it's still a little inflamed, but at least you can bear weight on it. And now you can bear weight back on the right. You see where the story it just can keep on going, right? So the problem here is that the problem has never been addressed. It has been the symptoms that we have been chasing from the rolled ankle to the knee to the hip. Now, when it comes to an inversion sprain, here's the interesting thing. Like your feet are the only part of your body that touches the ground on a regular basis. There's 26 bones and 33 joints that should move in a wonderful kind of orchestration every time your foot hits the ground and every time you push off. And if you sprain that ankle, it's going to set a whole new cascade of action. One that's going to compromise how everywhere in the body has to move from that point on. But we don't consider that in the modern world in the Western approach to to fitness rehabilitation and medicine. Rarely, in fact I have never, one time I have heard of somebody who had such an inversion sprain that the doctor had actually said you need to go to physical therapy. Most people when they sprain their ankle, the doctor gives them ice anti-inflammatory and goes on their way and we're expecting everything just to return to normal and we won't have to do any kind of therapy or rehabilitation or re-education for it and therein lies the problem is that we are not looking at the body as a whole and how one area affects another so we're chasing symptoms and that replaced joint is addressing the symptom and not the underlying problem. The underlying problem is how your body creates a strategy of movement. There is one perfect way in which to move and there are a multitude of other ways. Not that we're going to actually get anyone to move perfectly because we're imperfect, but if we could at least head in that direction, so that we can re-educate the body in how it moves in a more efficient way, then a whole bunch of things begin to happen. Joints begin to move with less restriction. Now I'm sure everyone in the audience has some areas that they don't move well in. And if you're unfamiliar with those movements, well, we're going to go through some today so that you can kind of unravel how it is you move. And nothing else, if you walk away with nothing else, then maybe just bringing some awareness to yourself and to your physical frame as to how you move and how you don't move could be a wonderful gift in which to give yourself. Now, for those that have gone through knee replacement, hip replacement, perhaps ankle reconstruction, shoulder replacement, there's there's joints, almost every joint can be reconstructed or replaced these days you're most likely going to be encouraged to go through some form of physical therapy. I hate to say that there's problems with that too, but we're dealing with insurance companies that will allow only a certain amount of visits, and they will only cover approaches that they have agreed upon that meet the criteria for the issues in which you're dealing with. So there are certain protocol for knee replacement, just as there are specific protocol for hip replacement, for shoulder replacement. And therefore the physical therapist being trained in those protocols, that's their go-to. For most physical therapists, there are mimeograph sheets which they pull out of the drawer for the hip replacement patient, the knee replacement patient, the ankle replacement patient. They're not pulling these out of the drawer for you as an individual or for the underlying reasons why you had to get the joint replaced. They are just once again dealing with the area that they've been agreed or, or um, they have been reimbursed for their work in that area. So, when it comes to knee replacement, they're going to start with some type of passive range of motion, some open chain action. Eventually, it will get onto some kind of balance exercises. And all of these are primarily lying on your back or standing in one place. And then they'll go encourage you to go for walks. The trouble is, the rehab is limited, it's incomplete. It is not re-educating your entire system. It is just simply focusing on the area that was already beat up and had to be replaced. So if the underlying cause was that you had fallen and sprained your ankle, or you had been in a car accident and received whiplash, or you had slipped on the ice and bruised your hip, and these were somewhere in your history that created a new way of moving that wore down the joints that just now were replaced, if those aren't being addressed then chances are you're going to have more pain further down the road because the problems are not being addressed. You've just put a band-aid on an area and hopefully you're moving now that encourages more movement and who knows that might be just enough so that you can avoid a lot more wear and tear on your body. The likelihood is less but it still can occur. So we need to be concerned with not just the replaced area. We need to be concerned with how that replaced area is integrating into your whole body. One thing we didn't speak about so much is your nervous system. What is your brain having to imagine when an area of your body has been removed where nerve endings that were connected to the bone, to the muscle tissue, have been severed And a portion of your body has been taken away that provided insight and information to your nervous system. And it has been replaced with a a beautiful, actually perfect, engineered, man-made, anatomically correct object and inserted into your body but without any nerve endings attached to it. What does your brain have to do? It has to create a strategy over this black hole where there's no information coming in. Imagine trying to stand on your leg and your brain does not know that there is a knee or a hip that is connecting that area. We're not even taking that into consideration more often than not when we're going through rehabilitation. So we need to re-educate and remind and somehow reconnect nerve information, stimuli that is transmitted from that region up through the body, interpreted and then responding in kind through the brain back down through. So one thing you can do simply enough, again, here's one little tool that you can start doing is massaging or palpating the scar tissues. So if you've had knee replacement, chances are you've got two vertical lines going down the front of your knees. And yes, they've done some soft tissue work on it. They've tried to, what they've told you, is break up adhesions and scar tissue. Well, that scar tissue is still there. You can see it because you can see the scar and the tissue around it is scar tissue. So by bringing some, just some simple touch to that area stimulates the nerve endings around there. And you'd be surprised, we've had people coming in here that have had restricted movements and range of motion and will palpate a scar, and then check their range of motion, and it has increased dramatically. Now, I don't claim to know the underlying reasons and, and biomechanical ways or chemical ways that that works. I just know that I've seen it with my own eyes, that by getting a, the tissue around a scar to start to open, or to unlock, or to just feel, suddenly things have a way of changing. The other thing is, is that area that has been replaced, again, has no nerve endings going to the prosthetic. So, if anything, can we stimulate the surrounding nerves to try and make up for an area that is mute? That might help as well. So, scarring, opening it up. If you looked at your scar, you'd probably find that it's similar to like when you pull on a plastic bag too hard and there's these plastic striations that occur, you'll see there's a direction to the scar tissue and that pulling it in one direction or another is going to give you a little bit better response in terms of your range of motion. So it would just be interesting to play around with the scarring. When it comes to the hip, there's a couple of different approaches these days. They can go in through the front. They can go in through the side, they can go in from behind. Wherever the scarring is, just do yourself a little favor and just give a little cuddle, give a little love and a little massage. Almost everyone loves to be touched and loves to be hugged and that includes parts of your body too. So whether it's a knee, shoulder, hip, just give it some attention. All right. so what I'd like to do now is kind of do more more exploration of your own body And I would encourage you to kind of go along with me and we're just going to see how your body moves. And what's really important here is to see if you can bring awareness into how it is you move and where is it that you struggle to get into. So we're going to, I'm going to stand up first of all, and just do a, a brief check in with where is the pressure of my body in relation to my feet. That might give us some insight as to just where your posture is in general. So as you stand in bare feet with your feet underneath you, not touching but not wide apart, just dropping them straight down, just hone in. Hone in on where is it that you feel the weight of your body in relation to your feet. Now, in a in a most perfect world, I guess you'd say, if we had ideal aligned posture, there would be 50% on each foot and there'd be 50% forward toward the forefeet, 50% back toward the heels. Is that where you line up? What might be good is if you can't discern where the pressure is, check in where the pressure is not. Where is it that you're floating? Where is it that you don't have contact? because just by shifting your hips say off to your left you can get a sense of how that affects the pressure in your feet or if you allow your body to travel slightly forward how you feel the weight shift or the pressure in your toes and the forefeet compared to leaning your body back where does the pressure go so we can actually discern quite a bit of information just simply by where the weight is in your feet. Alright, if you have one prosthetic knee per se, and you don't have a solid connection nerve-wise going into that area, it could be that you might have this propensity to be off that leg, even though you have fully, according to the medical world, fully rehabilitated on and have gone through physical therapy and you've been one of those exceptional patients, by the way, who has been 100% compliant with every single take home exercise they've given you and you've done everything to the T, you may still find that you're not quite balanced. So let's, let's just explore ways in which the body moves. And what we're going to do is we're going to do these movements as they're found in the gait cycle. So as you walk, one leg swings forward, the other one's traveling back. The opposite arm of the forward leg is swinging forward while the other one is swinging back. And there's this beautiful dance that all the joints of the body are designed to perform when all the movements are doing exactly what they should do. All the joints, all the muscles, everything works the way it should. So let's compare the ideal to where we are. So the first one we'll do is by bringing one foot forward into a forward stance, like a forward stride. In my case, I'm going to take my right foot forward. Now my left leg, I want to keep the left foot pointing straight ahead as well. Just get a sense of what is it like to balance in this position. Do you struggle to maintain a relaxed posture with one leg forward, one leg back, and both pointing straight ahead? For many people this is going to be quite challenging. So there's something that's missing. Your ability to be relaxed in a forward position. Out of curiosity, switch legs and just get a sense of what is the quality of my balance with my left leg forward, my right foot pointing straight ahead but behind my body. Is this different? This is not going to be rocket science. This is just basically, honestly it's more physics than rocket science, it's how does my body respond to gravity? And how do I create a strategy to keep me upright? All right. So with one leg forward, the other leg back, this time my left leg is forward. What is it like to just bring your body weight gliding forward onto your left leg while still keeping your right foot on the floor? The right heel can lift off as you travel forward onto the left leg but then glide back so that that right heel comes back to the ground and you push off that left leg. We're going to add some elements to this motion, but in general what we're going to do is just get you in this forward stance, gliding onto the left leg and coming back off. Now, As I glide onto this left foot, what happens at the foot? Because remember, there's 26 bones and 33 joints in the feet in each foot and they should move when weight is applied onto them. The tissue underneath the foot should spread out as the arches drop down toward the ground kinda like a trampoline when a child drops down onto it everything spreads out. So if you're moving back and forth with left leg forward what's going on down at that foot? Can you feel the arches dropping down? Because if they're not they're going to compromise what the knee is doing, what the hip is doing, and for that matter, what the shoulders are doing, what everything in the body is doing. So could it be that improper foot mechanics drive a compromised ankle and knee and hip to a point where over years of wear and tear, you finally needed to replace that joint? It could be. It's not unheard of. So as you drive your weight onto that left foot, what happens to the feet? The back foot, the arch is lifting because the heel's coming off, hopefully, while the other one's flattening out. They have these two opposing roles. Okay, as I'd glide forward with that left leg, where does the knee travel? Does it travel straight ahead? Does it want to bend and travel to the outside of the foot? Or does it want to bend and travel toward the inside or the big toe? The ideal place would be toward the big toe. So where does your knee travel? And we're not trying to travel into pain. We're just trying to explore movement. The pain response that you might receive could come from a number of reasons. One, that you're wearing down that area, perhaps, and your body's saying, I don't want to go there. It could be that you're just coordinating the movement in such a way where it's putting more pressure in an area that doesn't want to handle. There's just a whole myriad of, of reasons, but Provided there's no pain, where does that knee go? If there is pain, just back off the range of motion. Alright, we're going to move up a little bit to the hips. As you bring your weight onto the left leg and that right foot behind you is staying on the ground, do you get a sense that one hip starts getting higher than the other, or one side of the pelvis gets higher than the other? If we're bringing our weight over onto our left leg, We hope to see that the left side of the pelvis is hiking, while the right side is dropping down. In order for that to occur, I've got to really get certain muscles to lengthen out and stretch. Other ones have to shorten. So by moving our pelvis in certain directions, we might very well start to get a sense of what the muscles have to do. So you can see we're looking at movement, but we can understand better yet how the body responds based on how it is moving. Now with my left leg forward, if you were to look down at your pelvis, like at your waistband, does it appear to be turning or rotating in one direction? Now for some people as they travel onto their left they might feel like they have to bring the right side of their hip around and the pelvis will rotate toward the forward leg. But what it should naturally do is the opposite the pelvis should almost be pulled back by that back leg. So, which way does your pelvis go? Does it travel away toward the opposite side of that forward leg or is it traveling toward that forward leg? If we start seeing these misbehaviors, we might get a better sense of what we can do to help re-educate. Simply put with this one, if you find yourself rotating toward that forward leg with the pelvis, what is it like to just let it rotate away? You might start feeling like, oh, those muscles are starting to open up. I'm getting some more movement here. That could be incredible feeling and sensation to start waking up the body in that direction. Let's just switch legs now because we've been on that side for quite a while. So far, we've only started from we've started the feet and walked up to the hips. We haven't gotten up to the upper body yet, but we will. But just get a sense, as you start gliding onto that right leg with the, fo- with the right foot forward, left leg back and pointing straight ahead, what does this feel like? Do the arches, do you feel them lowering toward the ground as you apply weight? Do they lift back up as you come back? It's almost like you're doing CPR on the soles of your feet. As you apply weight, they spread out. As you bring weight off or push off, they reform those arches. Everything is this lengthening and shortening. Same with the tissue around the knee. So if those arches are behaving the way they should, great. Most of them aren't, but so, however they're doing it, just get a sense of how you're doing it. The knee itself, where does it want to travel? Are you able to bring weight onto that leg in the same way you were able to bring it onto the left leg? Does that knee flex or bend and travel toward the big toe or does it want to go somewhere else? The hips. Do we see that the right hip is staying higher than the left? Is the pelvis rotating away toward the left back leg or is it wanting to turn in toward the forward leg? We want to have it go back ever so gently. So these are basic leg mechanics that should occur every time you take a step. When the foot comes down on the ground, the toe touches, and I'm about to bring my weight onto there, these are the basic joint mechanics. Now, if they're occurring, wonderful. If they're not and they have a different way of moving, then that's your subconscious way of trying to create a strategy around some sort of limitations. So, great. Let's see what it's like to stand with both feet underneath you. And maybe back up for a second, those last two positions with the left leg forward, the right leg forward, we were also not only checking can the forward leg flex, bend, and travel toward the big toe, but we didn't put any attention on the back leg. Maybe we should go back there. Let's do that. I'm going to put my left leg forward once again. My right leg is behind me, and the right foot is pointing straight ahead. Rather than paying attention to the forward leg, let's see what the back leg is doing, because that's as equally important as what the front leg is doing. So as I glide over my left foot with my left leg forward, and that does what it was we're hopefully we're doing. What's the right foot doing? Are you able to keep pressure under the pads of the big toe and the pinky toe? Or do you lose pressure there? What is the knee doing in this position? Do you feel like the knee is in an extended position? Or is it flexing? For most of us, we sit too much and the tissue in the front of the hips and pelvis gets shortened and in order for the knee to extend or the hip to extend, those must lengthen. So chances are, most people don't truly extend that knee very well. So if you're playing along with me right now, with that right leg back, as you glide forward onto the left leg, I'd like you to press down gently into the pad of the forefoot, just in front of the pinky toe. So on the outside portion of your right forefoot, push that into the ground gently. And what you'll hopefully begin feeling is how that gets that knee to extend. It encourages extension through the knee, and that means the knee hangs back a little bit, allowing for more extension in the hip. Do you get a sense of that? Does that tissue now feel like it's taking a breath? inhaling kind of expanding for the first time. The most remarkable thing is if you just get one of these things to occur it's going to change how you move through the entire body not just the hip not just the knee. What is that like? Go ahead and switch legs and let's just see what that feels like on the other side. All we're doing is re-educating proper joint mechanics. We're not re-educating the knee or the hip. We're re-educating all the joints. I guess that's really what I want to get through here. Right foot forward pointing straight ahead. I'm gliding onto it by allowing that knee to kind of just track over that big toe. Left foot pointing straight ahead. And as I come onto that right leg, I'm applying some pressure into the pad of the left forefoot right in front of that pinky toe. One side may be easier to perform than the other. As you do this motion, can you get a sense that that left knee is extending? Can, do you have more room to extend? You can look down and behind and see if what you think is extension truly is. Most people will lose pressure on the outside portion of that forefoot and roll into the big toe too quickly which does not allow for the elastic properties of the muscles of the front of that hip on the right side to really allow them to spring that leg forward when the foot comes off the ground. So we are doing more than just joint reeducation. We're getting the muscle tissue to understand its role by being a propelling force, by lengthening, loading onto it, and then releasing with a short little contraction to glide us forward. Beautiful. Take just a moment after doing those two actions and just walk around for a second. See what that feels like. Does that give you a difference, a different sensation in movement? And then come back to a standing posture with your feet underneath you and check in with the pressure on your feet once more. Has it stayed the same or is it different? Now, I'm not necessarily hoping that it's completely balanced. That would be a cool outcome. I'm just looking to see if something has changed. Have we taken your normal feedback loop of motion that has caused certain distortions and reinforced certain compensations? Have we done something added a new element into the way in which you move that now has a different kind of feedback loop, one that might be more efficient, one that might be less detrimental. All right, cool with that? Brilliant, so let's move on to a couple different actions. What we'll do is we'll start to tie in the hips and the rib cage, and the skull with one another, because those three body parts, the skull, the ribs, and the pelvis, have a lot of things in common. The first of all is that they're all connected to the spine. And the spine is like a stack of cups. And that stack of cups is balancing on the waiter's tray, which we call the pelvis. So if the pelvis is nice and balanced, and the ribs are where they should be and the head is balanced upon the ribs and shoulders, then we're doing pretty well. However, if you're a joint recipient, chances are your posture has distorted because the pain and suffering that you went in before the, the operation and there was no magic reset button. So let's explore the ability of these areas to move and see if by getting them to be reminded of how they should move, If more things won't be unraveled. The beautiful thing with the pelvis and the skull is they actually move in the same direction at the same time whether it's forward and backwards, side to side, or turning left to right. Meanwhile the ribs are going to move in the opposite direction. So we are a bunch of cog wheels that are those toothed wheels. While one rolls clockwise, the other connecting wheel will have to go counterclockwise. And if I had a third wheel attached to the second one, it would be opposing that one too. So the first and the third wheels will rotate clockwise while the middle wheel goes counterclockwise. That's exactly what's going on with a lot of the areas of our body. So let's begin with the pelvis. We can tilt it forward and we can tilt it back. I typically take my hands on my waistband of my pants and with my thumbs wrapped around the back and four fingers forward toward the belly button, I'm just going to feel what it's like to tilt the pelvis in a forward direction so my fingers drop down toward my toes. And then I reverse directions posteriorly tilting the pelvis. So the thumbs start dropping toward my heels and my forefingers lift up toward my belly button. Now, the pelvis should be teetering on the femur or the thigh bone. So the thigh bone doesn't really move. It just simply stands there like a stick with a plate on top of it, spinning around. What is the quality of your movement there? Is there restriction? If there's restriction there, And you can bet there's probably restriction elsewhere. And equally so, there's probably more movement somewhere because of the restrictions because we're always having to figure out the best way to move across the world with or without those types of of compensations. So getting a sense of how the pelvis moves back and forth. Now get a sense of how the rib cage tilts forward and backwards. Now with the tilting of the rib cage, we still want to keep the ribs on top of our hips so we don't want to lean forward and let our head go forward or lean back. But can you keep your head over your hips while you tilt your rib cage forward and back? So the chest will drop down at the sternum with a forward tilt and it will lift on a backward tilt. What is the quality here? Because that's going to tell you your ability to really flex and extend through your spine. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with my knee replacement? Well, if these movements aren't occurring, somewhere else is going to have to move more. It's a simple math equation that we always have to equal 100%. What's really interesting is that we'll have some uncommon stories, but they still happen, where somebody will break their wrist. And that wrist is now less mobile. And the next thing you know, somewhere down the road, their, their ankle or their knee begins bothering them. And you wouldn't think that the wrist has a lot of responsibility and motion when we're talking about getting from point A to point B, but it does. It actually has a good deal. I mean, there is a lot of movement in my wrist. And if I lose even a fraction of that motion, I've got to build up somewhere else. Sometimes it's the elbow, the shoulder, neighboring joints, but it could be anywhere in the system. So, when it comes to a replaced knee or a replaced hip, how the spine moves is directly related to the quality of movement in those joints as well. So, if I were to try to keep my head level and tilt my rib cage back and forth, what we'll see is that the head itself has to tilt in order to maintain that level position. So, if the rib cage were to tilt forward, the head staying level would have to simultaneously start rotating backwards and vice versa. So just by doing this kind of cogwheel-like action, we might begin to get the knees to feel what they should be doing as well as the hips. For instance, as we're flexing, as as the pelvis is tilting backward and the ribs tilt forward, the pubic bone in the front of the pelvis, and the sternum in the front of the rib cage are moving toward each other and the spine is flexing what do your knees want to do in this position think about that where do they want to go do they want to straighten or do they want to flex are they extending or flexing now let's go in the opposite direction as the sternum lifts up and the pubic bone in the front of the pelvis drops down we have the pelvis anteriorly tilting in the front dropping down and the rib cage tilting back, the abdominal area is lengthening. Those two points are moving away from each other. What do your knees wanna do in this position? Do they want to be going into extension, straightening or flexing, bending? Move back and forth with these two points. Now I usually just palpate my sternum with one hand, my fingertips, and I put my other fingers on my pubic bone so I can feel both areas moving either toward each other or away from each other. And as I continue this motion, now I'm just gonna pay attention to where my knees, what's their behavior? Because they do have a direct relationship here. When the spine goes in one direction through movement, the knees should be doing something. And when the spine goes in extension, the knees should be doing something. So is there a confusion in this communication? Are they married in a happy relationship or are they somehow discontent or divorced? So here's the answer. As we move into spinal flexion and the sternum and the pubic bone move toward each other, the knees should be extending. They should be straightening. And as these two points in the front of my body move away from each other, the sternum and the pubic bone move away and my spine is extending, my knees should be flexing. So as the two points in the front come together knees extending and the arches of my feet should be lifting as they move away, knees flexing and kind of draw drawing toward each other and the arches of my feet dropping. Do you have that relationship? Don't feel bad if you don't because you're remarkable in yourself in the way in which you've already created subconscious strategies in order to get through your day. You've done it perfectly, just not the most efficient. And those inefficiencies could create some wear and tear. So we're just going to try and get you even more efficient. That's kind of a big wake up for a lot of people is by moving the pelvis and the ribs, the spine should be doing something. And in order for those to happen, then the hips should be flexing and extending. The knees should be flexing and extending. The arches of the feet should be dropping and lifting. There's this huge chain reaction. And that's really what we're searching for by doing these movements. Not just can this one joint support your weight? Can it do a rubber band exercise? Can you balance over this leg? And how long can you hold a single leg balance? Those are all ways to find ways of cheating. Every movement we can find a way of compensating, but by knowing how the relationship between the joints move, that's going to give us a whole better understanding. For instance, let's do this one. Your feet are directly underneath you, the feet are pointing straight ahead, and they're parallel, legs are parallel, you're not out in a wide stance and your feet aren't touching, you're in between. All I want you to do is feel what it's like to turn your body to the right, and then turn your body to the left while keeping your feet on the ground. The heels stay on the floor for right now. When you rotate to the right, what does your foot on the right foot want to do? So as you rotate right, what happens to the arches in your right feet, on your right foot? Do the, do the arches lift up? Do they do anything? Do they move? When you rotate left? put some intention or attention into the left foot. What's going on there? When you rotate right, we should see that the arches on your right foot begin to lift up and the left foot when you rotate to the right, that left foot those arches should be dropping down. When you rotate to the left opposite happens, the left foot arches lift, the right foot arches drop. Is that occurring? Do they occur to the same degree? Continue up. One ankle is internally rotating, and the other one's externally rotating. When you rotate to the right, do you see your ankle rotate also to the right? When you rotate left, does the ankle rotate on the left foot, the left ankle rotate left? Both ankles are going to rotate in the same direction. One just moves toward the midline, while the other one moves away so we call that internal and external rotation. Are your ankles free to move? They are a ball and socket like action and if they're locked up well a neighboring joint such as the knee may try and do more work and become a ball and socket when it's actually more like a hinge. Okay what else happens when we rotate to the right? At the knee at the right knee does your right knee when you rotate right does it want to extend and straighten or does it want to bend and flex? when you rotate the body left what happens the left knee does it want to extend straighten or bend flex are they doing two different things rotating to the right the right knee should be extending the left knee is flexing when rotating right when we go to the left left knee should be extending while the right knee begins to bend are those happening I know these are very subtle but they're amazingly powerful. As we rotate right, where does the weight of your body go in regards to your feet? Do you feel any shifting of weight in one direction or the other? We should feel more pressure toward the outside edge of the foot that we're rotating toward and we should feel more weight over that side. When I rotate left, the arches of the left foot lift up propelling me more toward the outside portion of that left leg and toward the heel. So if any of you were checking in with your foot pressure at the beginning of this hour, and you felt like there was more weight on one forefoot and the opposite heel, it's giving you a sense that you're already in a torqued position. You're rotated. So this might be something nice to explore. How is it I rotate in the opposite direction that I'm kind of gravitating toward? Nice. So just then, you were just exploring proper ankle, foot, and knee mechanics. But at the same time, we're getting hip mechanics to occur too. One hip is internally rotating that you're traveling toward. The other hip is externally rotating, the one you're traveling away from. So now we've just just encompassed a whole bunch of movements through the body. Go ahead and walk around for a second. See how that feels. Is there a difference now? Just the surface of your foot, how does it strike the ground now? Does the weight of your body, has that changed relative to how it feels? Do you feel heavier or lighter? Is there more slogging with every step or is there more of a spring? Do you feel as if you're taller or more compressed? You know. Bringing in adjectives like this could be very helpful to bring awareness to your body. And as you stand there with your feet underneath you, what does that feel like? All right. So there's just a few of the mechanics of how the body should move through space. And that's what we kind of look for: is how do these joints relate to one another? Somewhere in this chain of motion throughout your entire whole integrative frame, there are areas that are not communicating well. They are divorced, so to speak, from the other parts of your body. And it's that area that is probably going to give you the most trouble. They're not playing by the rules. But the beautiful thing here is that the central nervous system is trying to be as efficient as it can be at any given moment because its primary role in life is to survive. And it's going to survive by getting the flow of energy and supply of fuel and nutrients it needs. And if that means that it needs to do something less efficient, it's going to do it slightly less efficient than it had been because it's not trying to waste energy. On the other end of the spectrum, if we start to give the body something that's more efficient, that allows it to expend less energy, it's going to be encouraged to do that more in the future. So hopefully, this is probably not what you were expecting when it came to life after total joint replacement, but hopefully the body is feeling a little different than it did at the beginning and it's feeling a little bit more confident in its movement, more alive Hopefully uh, not in pain, but not to say pain is a bad thing. It's just your body's way of communicating to you. So it could be that some of these movements were done in a way where are too forceful with them or done them in such a way where of course I couldn't visually see you doing them and coach you through it or, or correct or block or speed up areas that need it. So that's kind of what comes into play here with what we do in the studio. Now, how are you moving through space? That's the, that's the interesting part. And it's, it's an endless journey. It's just until we take our last breath, we can continue to explore how we move, which is wonderful. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in. And I hope you had an enjoyable experience. And if you want to uh, contact me, you can do so through the studio, rockysnyder.com or rockysfitnesscenter.com. And we'll see you next time. Before you go, our new book, Return to Center, breaks down everything we did today and a whole lot more. So check it out at RockySnyder.com. Our link is on our page, too. If you still haven't subscribed to this channel, please do. Thanks for watching.